and sometimes you can get into this kind of mechanical thing, you know, where you just sort of sing it and don't really notice what's going on. You look outside the window or just daydream while you're singing. Um, but I hope this excites you, you know, the, the, the things that we just sang about, you know, um, hearing about the mansions that is in glory, you know, um, and about Jesus, how he made the lame to walk again, caused the blind to see, the kind of man that he was, you know, the kind of God that he is, and just singing about these things and thinking that if you're safe today, we're going to see him face to face one day. What a blessing. Oh, man, that's... That should excite you. If it doesn't excite you, well, go and think about this. You know, go and meditate on this this afternoon. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you've grown a bit cold. I don't know. But yeah. Uh, all right, let's turn our Bibles to First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. <coughs> And we've been studying this victory of Christ um, in First Peter in the uh, section that we're in now, you know, starting from the end of chapter 3. So we'll continue with that in First Peter chapter 4. Let's just get read verse 1. Got it? All right. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that we can sing your praises and that we can look forward to, to seeing you, to being with you. Um, and Lord, what a wonderful day that's going to be when you um, come down and you, you come and fetch us, Lord, and we meet you in the clouds. That's going to be so amazing. <laughs> Lord, um, please help us to keep on looking forward to that, that blessed hope of ours, to be gathered together with you and not to grow weary because of the things that's going on in this world. Lord, will you please uh, speak to us through your word and spirit this morning. <coughs> please don't let the enemy come and, and the birds come and steal that seed out of our hearts, Lord. Let, the, let this seed fall on good ground so that it may bear fruit to you. We thank you for being with, uh, with us here today, Lord, and we praise your name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Amen. All right, so you're in First Peter chapter 4. Now, you will remember that last time, uh, I think it was about two weeks ago, we looked at the end of chapter 3, and we specifically looked at how uh, the ark that Noah built, you know, saved him and his family during that time of that great flood, and how that is actually a picture of how Jesus is our ark of safety, you know. You get into Jesus, that means you're safe, saved and safe from judgment. You will not, um, you know, be condemned when, when you pass through judgment. You will be saved, just like Noah was saved. And I just want to ask you to, this morning, aren't you glad, you know, that, that we can have assurance of that? That if we are in Christ... That means we are saved. And that's not something that anybody can take away from us. You know, I thought about that again this week after, um, well, actually this time after this lesson that I, that I gave on this and the ark and all of that, thinking that you are inside of Christ. And you remember how God sealed the door of the ark? Eh? Noah wasn't able to get out <laughs> until God opened the door. Now, 
we are in that ark of Christ, and he's not opening that door. That door is sealed until the day of redemption. Then we will go out and we'll be with him, you know. And it's, it's just an amazing picture, and there are so many things you can learn from that. Um, but I'm also glad that there's only that one way to be saved. I'm, I'm very grateful for that, you know, uh, and that there is absolutely no work involved at least on my part or on your part, to get saved. I'm, I'm very glad about that. You know, some people say that there are many ways to God, just countless ways to God. You know, your way is your way and I've got my way. There aren't. There's only one way to God, and we looked at that last time, um, but that is through Christ. And this dramatically simplifies um, things for us because it takes the number of things or the number of so-called ways to get to God, down from a thousand to only one. And I like that. I like simple things, and that's what we need, simple things, and God simplified it for us. You know, if you go and look at the many other so-called ways to God, then you will soon see that they're all basically teaching that you save yourself. All of them. Just go, just go look at them. They say that you must perform some sort of ritual, or you must... Uh, cleanse yourself in some way, you know, or bring some sort of sacrifice or, or whatever else. You know, they make a bunch of stuff up and they think that this will appease God or the gods or whatever it may be. But God says, no, it doesn't work that way. You are not going to save yourself because you can't. It's impossible. Think about those people in the flood. None of them could save themselves. None of them. Sure, some of them probably grabbed onto a tree, you know, when the flood waters came. In, in the end, they drowned. Um, you cannot save yourself because the hole that, that you've dug with that shovel of your sin is just simply too deep for you to climb out of. It's too deep. You can't do it. And so God made this perfect plan before anybody ever thought about sinning even. <laughs> you know, he already made this plan to send down his son in the likeness of men, in the likeness of sinful flesh, Romans 8 tells us. And that just means that he came down and he looked just like us. Just like us. He walked like us. He sounded like us. You could hear his voice. He ate like us. He slept like us. The Bible says that he was tempted in every point just like us. The big difference is he was still without sin. You know, we kind of jump into that sin sometimes, don't we? <laughs> All right. He was without sin. And that, that is amazing, you know. And, and, and it is important that he should have stayed without sin. He should have kept himself like that. Otherwise, he couldn't pay for our sin. Then he had his own sin to pay for. And yeah, that just goes nowhere. And now, while he was here on earth, he proved to everybody that he is God's son. Over and over again, you know, but the people still hated him for various reasons. Um, while he preached, he would often point out the hypocrisy of the religious establishment of the day. And you can just imagine, that, that ruffled a bunch of feathers <laughs> during that time. Uh, some people just didn't like his popularity, you know, because Jesus was popular. Um, if, if they had Facebook in that time, you know, you would see it all over Facebook. Uh, he was very popular. People were speaking about him. Um, I'm reminded of the story of, oh, in English I think you say Zacchaeus. Yeah? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, is that correct? All right. Now, and 
Now, Zacchaeus obviously heard about Jesus. He, he sort of knew something about Jesus. He knew enough that, he, that it motivated him to get into that tree to see Jesus. All right? So this, the stories did spread about Jesus. Um, some people said that Jesus blasphemed God because he made himself equal with God. He claimed that he was equal with God, which is, of course, true. He is equal with God because he is God. All right? He's one and the same but they just didn't want to believe it, even though he proved it to them. They didn't want to believe. And so they waited for this perfect moment to grab a hold of him so that they could just, you know, take him out of the way. They didn't want him there anymore, but they couldn't arrest him publicly um, because he never did anything wrong, you know, and besides, they were scared of the people, you know, like I just said, he was popular. People liked him, even if it was just for the miracles that he did. All right, he was at least, you know, and this is going to sound bad, but for some people, he was at least a good show, something to watch. They didn't have TV in those days, all right, so it was at least interesting. Now, during our uh, family devotions this week, we, we got to Luke chapter 22 in the part where we read how Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and he conspired with them to finally hand Jesus over to them. And I just couldn't help but think, you know, how that must have felt for Jesus, knowing that one of his closest friends betrayed him. Judas was one of the twelve. He was one of the close ones. And his good friend betrayed him. That must have been horrible. And so Jesus knew, uh, oh, sorry, Judas knew that Jesus liked to go up to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray there, and he knew he was going to be there that night. So he led a mob of people to Jesus, and he betrayed him with a kiss. Can you just imagine that? Betraying him with a kiss. And then that was, of course, the start of Jesus' suffering at the hands of sinful and evil men. That's where it all started. They blindfolded him, they beat him up, they mocked him, they spat on him, they accused him of all sorts of false things, and they knew they were false things, but they just tried it out. They accused him. The governor of that area, um, knowing that, that Jesus didn't do anything wrong, then sent Jesus to be scourged because he was afraid of the people. He just wanted to appease them somehow, this crowd that was seeking blood. So he said, okay, you want blood? I'll show you some blood. All right? But he knew that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. During his scourging, Jesus was ripped to pieces um, by that whip that they used in that time all while being mocked and laughed at by the soldiers that were standing there uh, in that scene. When he returned from there, he had that crown of thorns on his head. You remember the crown of thorns that was beat into his head with a stick? And Pilate, that's the governor that I talked about, um, Pilate told the people that he still finds nothing wrong in Jesus. All right? And he asked the people, well, did you have enough now? <laughs> All right. uh, are you satisfied now? And the people weren't satisfied. They wanted him to be crucified. They wanted him dead. They wanted him executed, exterminated. That's what they wanted. So, finally, Pilate gave in to the demands of the crowd, as you know. He sent Jesus to be, to be crucified, even though he knew he was innocent. Completely innocent. Now, I'm pretty sure that we all know that crucifixion was a horrible, torturous way for somebody to die. 
You know, these days when we, when we send somebody, well, not in South Africa, but in other countries, when they send somebody to be executed for some crime that they did, they, they try to do it in a humane way, all right? But yeah, really, there's no humane way, if you want to put it like that, to kill somebody. But it's definitely much better than crucifixion was. Crucifixion was terrible, and it was designed to be that way, to be so torturous. And they sent him to be crucified, and, you know, this, this, this punishment was always reserved for the worst of the worst of the people. As you can imagine, because it was such a terrible punishment, such a terrible way of execution. But Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, was sent to be crucified. It just doesn't seem right, does it? If somebody that's so, that's so innocent, you know, more innocent than any one of us in this room, uh, because he's never done anything wrong, being sent to be crucified, of all things. Yeah. That's, that's unjust. <laughs> And Jesus was nailed to that cross with the nails going through his hands and through his feet. And he hung there on that piece of wood, gasping for air. And I explained to you how that worked a few lessons ago. Uh, And then finally, six hours later, he died on that thing. And all Jesus' enemies were satisfied. I mean, they they were overjoyed. You know, that that includes the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, and and many of the people that were there. You know, they, they were glad. Okay, it's finally over. We've won him. We've got him down. Satan and all of the unclean spirits, you know, they were happy, you know. We finally won him. We finally overthrown God's plan. We discussed that when we got to chapter 3, verse 19. But they thought they had him. That God failed. <laughs> of course, we know now God did not fail. All right? We know that, that Jesus rose again from the dead three days after, after he died. And, and during that time, and we looked at this in, in chapter 3, Jesus even went to those unclean spirits that are in prison, and he preached to them, claiming the victory over them, saying, listen, guys, <laughs> you lost. Okay, I won. All right, I'm going to raise again from the dead. You, know, you can just see those jaws dropping <laughs> when he got in there. Um, in that place. And now, as we read last time in verse 22, he's gone into heaven and he's on the right hand of God. That's the position of authority, the position of power, and being on the right hand of God, it is the ultimate position of authority and power. That's where Jesus is right now. All right? He conquered everything. He, he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he conquered hell. And right now, if you receive him, or, 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 or you, you can receive this gift of salvation from Him freely. You know, that's why we call it a gift. It's because it's free. And like most of us have done that already in this room, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that some of you have not done that yet. You have not yet received Christ as your Savior. And I would encourage you to do that today. Nobody can make you do that. Nobody will make you do that. But really, you need that. Jesus is the ark to get into, to, to stay safe. Um, we, need to stay, we need to be in Him. That is the good news for all of us here today. Folks, there is a judgment coming. It is coming. And that is why we say Jesus is the only way to be saved. You know, sometimes people get confused. Well, saved from what? Or maybe you don't even think about, okay, saved from what? But you, you are being saved from the judgment of God if you're in Christ. That's, that's, that's just wonderful grace and mercy from God. And that is the gospel message. And what I find wonderful about the gospel of Christ is that not only does it give us life, of course it gives us life. We, we receive eternal life through it. 
But if you are faithful and if you are growing in your faith as you should, it becomes your life. You live for it. It becomes the starting point from which you make all your decisions, such as how to raise your children or how to spend your money or how you should do your job or how you should approach the government even. These are things that we've, we've learned in this epistle already. You know, the gospel informs us on, on how you should treat your friends. And it also informs us on how we should treat strangers. It helps us to know how we should behave both in public and in private. We can learn how to please God in every aspect of life, whether you are going through a good time or a rough time. All of that we can learn. But this, this message of the, of, of the gospel should keep on. It should continue changing your life. You see, that change starts that very moment that you believe the gospel and you receive Christ as your Savior. We say that you are born again because that's what Jesus called it. But that just means it's a new start. It's a brand new start. And from there on out, you should grow. And you should grow in your knowledge of Jesus. And you, should get, you get to know Him better. You get to know His Word better. And the deeper you go into that, uh, the better or, or, or the more it will affect your life. You know, and, and your response to, towards the gospel will not change, but it will grow, if I can put it that way. And that is what Peter is showing us here um, as we've been going through this epistle. And where we are here at the first verse of chapter 4, he's specifically telling us that we can look at Jesus and how Jesus went through all of his sufferings and, through all of, you know, and how he finally died and how we can apply that to our lives. Many people don't think about that. We don't think about, oh, well, I can actually apply that to my life. Well, we're getting that in this epistle. So now let's turn our attention again to, to verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. So we can see here that Peter is connecting this with chapter 3 and verse 18. Look at 3 verse 18. He says, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. That's what I just explained to you, that he, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So Jesus suffered for us and he suffered for our sins and he died for that. All right, that, that's the entire suffering, even the death was part of it. Now, the Bible tells us when Jesus went to the cross, the Father made him to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5, all right? And we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that Jesus bore our sins in his own body when he was there on the cross. That's what he did, so that, so that finally we can live unto righteousness, uh, Peter continues there. In Galatians 3, verse 13, Paul says that Jesus was made a curse for us. Uh, he writes there, I'm just going to read it to you. He says that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. He became a curse. And so he came in the likeness of sinful men, like I told you. That's Romans 8, verse 3. And he was made a curse for us, and he took our sins on him. He was made to be sin for us. And in all of that, he experienced the full force of the evil of sin. All of it. And he didn't deserve any of it. He was innocent. The just for the unjust. 
2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 tells us that God made him to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's how we get made the righteousness of God. You get in Christ. And when, when he did that, when Jesus did that, he, he made salvation available to every single person who would believe. That's it. That's what it takes to be saved. There's no work involved. It's, it's you putting your faith and your trust in Christ alone to save you from the judgment. And you deserve the judgment because of all your sins. That's the gospel message. And it's a wonderful gift of God. And now Jesus is sitting down there at the right hand of, right hand of God and he's receiving the eternal praises of all of heaven. You know, go read Revelation 5 and you will see some of that there. And it's going to be a wonderful sight to see one day. <laughs> and so Peter says here that Keeping in mind, okay, that's the start here. Keeping in mind that Jesus suffered uh, and consequently died because of that, you should, and he continues there, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Now, when he says to arm yourself, um, he's using the kind of language that you would use when you are telling somebody to prepare for a battle. Get ready for this battle. So arm yourself like a soldier would arm himself for battle. Right? That's, that's the kind of language here. And I, I actually like that he put it this way because if you think of a soldier um, that, that doesn't arm himself for a battle, you know, and he's not ready, he didn't get any training, he doesn't have his armor on or any, anything like that, when he gets into the battle, he's not going to last very long, is he? He doesn't know what he's doing. He has no idea what's going on. He's going to lose. <laughs> All right. But if you think of true soldiers, these are men that show up and they receive some intensive training to strengthen both their body and their minds. They are, they are taught how to protect themselves and how to use various kinds of weaponry and all of that. And it is usually some other more experienced soldier that would teach these new soldiers, if I can call it like that, that will teach them and train them because, you know, that's the best way to learn is to learn from the experience of somebody else, um, somebody that came before you. They can teach you a lot about ha how to handle certain situations because of their experience. And so this is what Peter is saying here. Jesus is that more experienced soldier, <laughs> all right? A Christian can look at the suffering and the death of Christ and how he went through it all, and how he was victorious through all of it, and because of it. <laughs> and now just like a soldier arms himself for the battle, you should arm yourself with that same mind, or that same attitude as Christ had. That's what he's saying there. And what's that attitude? Well, Jesus was ready, and he was willing to receive that, uh, or to go through that unjust suffering, and to finally die because of it. And so a Christian should arm himself with that same willingness to die. Because we know that death ultimately brings the greatest victory, doesn't it? Now Peter was not making up a new concept here, actually. You will remember that Jesus told them there in Luke 9 verse 23, I'm just going to read it for you. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me now when we normally uh, you know uh, 
think about this verse. We tend to think that Jesus is making some sort of point that we should rededicate ourselves to him daily, you know. And, and, and I think that that understanding is definitely in the right direction. But if you think about this a little bit further, you know, when Jesus said that you should take up your cross, uh, the people that were standing there were intimately um, familiar with crucifixion. They knew what it meant to take up a cross. They knew if somebody takes up his cross, he's going to die. That, that's where he's headed. He's going to die. And so they knew what he was saying was that you should not be ashamed to confess him as Lord and to live that way, even with the possibility of actually being executed for that. Three verses later in that same chapter, Jesus said, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. That's the context. All right, we, we should stand with Christ, even if that means that we, sh- we could physically die for it. Now, I know that sounds tough. Right? I get that, and I feel the atmosphere. All right? <laughs> but that is why Peter is instructing us to arm ourselves, to take up arms. Arm yourself with that same attitude as that Jesus had. A Christian should be ready to accept suffering, and even potentially death, as part of the Christian life. Now, this doesn't mean that when persecution comes that we just surrender and say, oh, well, I'm going to die anyway, so let me just die, you know, I'm not, not going to try to hide or further anything, you know, I'm just going to surrender. That's, that's not what it means. Because we know about the victory that Jesus has won for us through his death and resurrection, that becomes our motivation for arming us, ourselves like that. We don't just sit back and say, oh, whatever, you know, it's, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and that, that's just how it is. No, uh, I've rather replaced that with the confidence in the promise of God, you know, that I am in Christ, and therefore, as Christ has won the victory over death, sin, and hell, well, I'm part of that victory, and now I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. That's, that's what replaces that, and that is what we should be arming ourselves with, um, like the attitude that Jesus had. You know, there have literally, literally been thousands of martyrs throughout history that have been willing to die because they armed themselves with the same mind or the same attitude as Christ. Go read the stories. There are so many stories. Go pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs and, um, and go read some of those stories of those people, you know. They had that attitude, the same attitude as Christ. And Christ... Christ was willing to be, to be faithful to the Father no matter what the cost may be. And that's the sort of attitude that we should arm ourselves with, um, even though we, we are not going through per, that type of persecution right now. And they knew, those people, those martyrs, knew that the greatest victory for the Christian can only be achieved through death. So what is that victory? Well, that's the rest of this verse. He says, For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. He that that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So when you die, you stop sinning. (laughs) It's as simple as that. I find that amazing. What a thing to look forward to, isn't it? To stop sinning. You know, we know that when you are saved, both your spirit and your soul are saved, right? But this flesh 
It's the only thing that is still waiting to be redeemed. The only thing that is still sin crawling in it. That is the flesh. It still needs to be saved. Even after salvation, you're, you're going to be stuck with this until the day that you die. All right? So just strap in <laughs> all right, for the long haul. You, know, you will have a constant battle with this flesh. And I hope it is a battle for you. I really do. Because this, this flesh will keep on wanting to pull you into the direction of sin. That's where it wants you. Because that's what it loves. But that battle is over. And you will be able to rest as soon as you die. Maybe that's why we say rest in peace. <laughs> you can finally rest then. Because that is when that final victory is won. Now, looking at Jesus, since he is our example here, he carried the curse of our sin only once. All right? And after he died and after he rose again, he rose with that glorified body. And he was completely free from, from the power of sinful men and of those unclean spirits and all of that. Now, just to be clear, when he became a man, he willingly exposed himself to those things, to evil men, to unclean spirits and all of that. He exposed himself to that. But it was in his death that he finally conquered sin. And so he faced death with a much different perspective. You know, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Why did he just keep on going with it? Well, because he had the long outlook. All right? He looked ahead at the joy that was waiting for him despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that, that he would conquer sin when he died. He knew that. And the joy of that thought was much greater than any suffering that he had to go through to get to that point. And so we look at him and how he saw his suffering and how he saw his death, and we arm ourselves then with that perspective. That Jesus had. That's the point of verse 1 here. We arm ourselves with that. Folks, the worst thing that can happen to a believer in Christ that is suffering unjustly is death. That's the worst thing that can happen. But, you know, I, I know we don't necessarily like to talk about death. We don't necessarily like to think about our own demise one day. But the fact of the matter is every single one of us will die unless the Lord comes back before that time. Otherwise, we will die and we will be raised again when He comes back to fetch us. But we will die and it's, it, it's an uncomfortable thing to think about. You know, those of you that have already got life insurance policies and you had to make out a will, you know, to care for the kids and all that, that's not fun. <laughs> that's really not fun to think about that. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's a reality that we should all face. We are all going to die. But just as death is the worst thing that can happen to a believer that is suffering unjustly, or, or just to, to a believer, whether or not you're suffering, just the same way it is the best thing that can happen to you as well. Because after death, you're finally freed from sin. Like in free. <laughs> All right? it's, it won't have any hold on you anymore. And you know, I've often wondered, I don't know if you've done this before, but I've, I've wondered what it would be like to not have any sin in me at all. Because that's the way it's going to be, right? We're not going to have any sin. What is that going to be like? 
We're so used to this sin, you know, running through our veins almost, you know. We're so used to that. But just think about this, you know. To no, no longer have any, any sinful lusts inside of you that is pulling you in some sort of direction to do something, you know, that you have to keep on fighting and keep on fighting. To no longer have any sinful thoughts. That'll be amazing, you know, to be, to be able to react or to judge um, every situation correctly in, in, in exactly the right way because you don't have sin clouding the whole thing. To no longer have any difficulty in deciding whether to do the right thing or to do the thing that you think you want to do. <laughs> you know, that, that's the battle, isn't it? Wouldn't that be amazing? What a thought. In Romans 7, Paul explains this exact frustration that he has with himself, and which is similar to what I think, I think all believers experience this. He says there in Romans 7 verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. I do those things that I tell you not to do. <laughs> Don't do what I do, do what I say, kind of thing. <laughs> but that's the stuff that I'm doing. He says, for what I would, that do I not. Those things that I want to do, I, I don't find myself doing those things. I hate that, you know. But what I hate, <laughs> that, that do I. Then again in verse 18, he continues, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Have you ever felt that way? You know, that you keep on trying to do the right thing over and over again and to leave some sort of sin behind. You know, um, I think all of us have some sort of sin, at least one that is really, you know, it's really got its claws in you. And you're trying to get away from that thing. Um, and then just before you know it, you do that exact thing that you're trying to get away from. That's a frustration, isn't it? And that's exactly what Paul was struggling with. That he doesn't do the things that he knows is right to do and, and that he would like to do, but that he finds himself doing the sin that he hates. That's, that, that's the battle, folks. That's the battle that we should all be engaged in. And like I said previously, I really hope you are engaged in that battle. Don't just go along with it. Because if you go along with it, you're going to be swept off with that sin. And it's, it's going to take you in a, in a path where you don't want to be. Finally, Paul cries out in that same chapter with frustration. In verse 24, where he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he gives the answer in that next verse. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, that's who's going to deliver me from this body of this death. <laughs> the sinful flesh will, unfortunately, um, let sin keep on rising up in us. It will, it, it, it'll just be a constant thing until that day that we die. And it will be a battle that you will fight to the very end. But one day, folks, one day, whenever we die, we're going, we're, we'll finally be delivered from this thing, this sinful flesh. We'll be delivered from this thing. And if you have that perspective, then that fear of death disappears, doesn't it? Because 
it becomes then it almost becomes something precious, you know, something to look forward to even. Now I'm not talking about you know problems such as suicide and stuff like that. All right, I hope you get that. I think you got that. All right, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about that eventuality. It's going to happen. You're going to die one day, and then you're going to be free from all of this. It's going to be wonderful. What is your reaction to the thought of your own death? Have you, have you, have you considered that before? Have you, have you thought about this? You know, wh- what do you feel like when you think about this? Are you afraid of it? If you are afraid of death, why are you afraid of it? Maybe go down that road a, a bit today. Is it because you are not right with God? I think that, that gets many believers. You know, I know I'm not right with God. Please, I don't want to die right now. I first want to make things right with God. <laughs> um, is, is that, that it? Maybe you are not saved. Maybe you have never received Christ as your Savior. Maybe that's why you don't want to die. Um, maybe that's why you're afraid of it. If that is true, that can be fixed today. Really, it can. Um, Jesus can fix that for you today. He is willing and able to save you that moment that you receive Him as your Savior. If you're not sure how to do that or, or what to say or anything like that, please come and see me afterwards. I would be happy to spend the time with you. It's on recording, so you can keep me to it. <laughs> all right? I will be happy to spend the time with you today to explain all of this. But perhaps you are saved and perhaps you are afraid of death. Uh, if that is so, then, well, take this instruction from Peter and arm yourself with that same mind as Christ. You know, we may not be going through persecution right now, and we might never go through this type of persecution that these people were going through, all right, until we die. We might never see that. We might never suffer unjustly even to the point of death. That might not happen to us. But death is still a reality that stares us in the face every single day. It doesn't matter how you're going to die. You're going to die, all right? For us... Believers, folks, death is just a door that we go through to be with Christ and where we will be without sin. That's what it is now. It's nothing to fear. I'd like to end off with a summary in 1 Corinthians 15, if you can turn your Bibles there. A summary that Paul gives um, of this victory that we have a part of in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to get uh, there from verse 54. In this context, please go read this afterwards, you know, maybe, maybe this afternoon or right after the service. But this, this all has to do, this context is talking about the resurrection and the rapture and all of that, right? It's an exciting time in every believer's life. Look what he says there in verse 54. He says, so when this corruptible... So when this body, this, this thing that is corruptible, that gets sick, it breaks down, all right? We've got a few broken down people here today. <laughs> it breaks down, it needs repairs. Um, when this corruptible must put on incorruption, what's that? That's the glorified body that we're going to get, all right, at that moment of the rapture. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, Right? That new body is not going to be able to die. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. <laughs> Look what it says in verse 55. I love this. Oh, death, 
Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. If you're not saved, yes, you're going to feel that sting of death, right? And you're going to go to the judgment, and you're not going to survive that. Verse 57, but thanks be to God, that's the Christian's answer, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That sting is removed from death for us. We don't need to fear that, I just want to call it a portal, that door anymore at all. All right, We will go through that door and it's going to be a wonderful day when that happens. Uh, you may find yourself in certain, certain situations where you might have to face death. You might get sick, you know, get hurt, or something. Something might happen. That's not the time to start fearing. All right? Remember this. Arm yourself with the same mind as Christ so that you can know that when you, when you go through that, you're going to be done with sin. You're going to be done with all this struggles that we're sitting with every single day. It's going to be done. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise. It's such a wonderful promise to know that that day that we die, Lord, we're going to be with you. <laughs> and we're going to be freed of sin. We're going to see you face to face. We're going to be with you forever. Thank you so much, Lord. Lord, please um, encourage those here today that, that might be going through a rough time, Lord, and maybe actually staring death in the face today. Lord, will you please encourage them through this and, and let them arm themselves with the mind of Christ. Help us to take up arms, Lord, and to, and to um, be ready to get our minds settled on this thing um, so that we won't fear death anymore, Lord. I, we've, we've gone through a season where the entire world was just so oh, obsessed with, with the idea of that we might all die because of this virus, Lord. And people have really been fearing. Lord, um, please come and work in our hearts through your Spirit and take that fear away if there's anything left of that. Lord, help us to spread this wonderful message of the gospel to more people um, so that more people can get saved. Um, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, please go with us the rest of this day, Lord. Please remind us of the things that we've heard today, the things that we've learned, and use it, Lord, to, to, um, to bring glory to your name through our lives. We thank you for all that you do. Amen. I